0: I'm not embarrassed to say hey I don't understand what you're saying and I also know that other people will not understand it either
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Nonlinear, a podcast about the decisions that shape our careers. I'm Dave Fano, the founder and CEO of Teal and the host of this show. If you're enjoying the conversation on this episode, please make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. It really helps shine a light on these amazing careers and increases the chances of us learning from each other. Again, thank you so much, and let's jump into this amazing career story. All right, in this episode, we're going to be with Dale Gelantino who I've had the privilege of knowing for a while in various capacities from our initial like Twitter conversations to eventually working together, taking courses together. Uh, And Dale's had a really interesting career. Uh, We'll get into it, but I know he was a, a weightlifter and an architect and a technologist, a real estate developer. And we're going to talk about some of those shifts and turns in his career, how he's thought about it, how he thought about going back to school. I've got some questions for him on how he managed it all. But with that, welcome, Dale, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Cheers, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so
0: I studied architecture. I started my you know professional career within an architecture intention, trying to go the full hog realized very quickly that it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, having gone into the real world. Thankfully was in a great time within the within the profession where I could pivot into something a little bit more technical and digital and have spent the, you know, pretty much my entire career kind of niching down into interest areas that I'm actually more interested in than some of my peers, which may have been a little bit, you know, left field to what some of the others were doing. But it served me well in the long run and I think
1: I've had an interesting path. Since then. So, yeah, I'm glad I'm here to share it. All right. Architecture, it, it, you know, obviously a, a career that's near and dear, maybe uh, to my heart, but it's this funny profession, right? Like every advertisement on TV, every TV show, like the person's an architect. So, I'm curious, like, where that came from. Where, because you studied it in school. Where, where did, like, when did you say that? Where, where were you in your life when you're like, I'm going to be an architect?
0: Yeah, I was I was a teenager, so I drew up my parents' home extension. So just off a couple of A3 sheets of paper, pen and, you know, scale ruler, drew up my parents' home extension and submitted that for planning, which we actually got when I was a, a kid. But I wrestled with either going into architecture or going into some sort of sports science, sports sort of rehab kind of career path. And that was really down to my final year of secondary school, like high school you'd have in the States. And yeah, I made the decision to go to architecture school when I was 17, 18, kind of the 11th hour, finally pulling the plug and going into there. Reason being, I like problem solving. It was something that I figured, hey, I could go, that seems like the right way of doing it. I can apply some creative thinking to it, but really it's the problem solving, how does this connect with that and how do you solve those problems? And I realized going into, well, having gone through the degree, it is so heavily design focused. Um, I'm so heavily weighted toward design that I actually struggled to get the grades I needed through university to actually come out on the other end. Whilst I was actually stronger on the technical side and the system side and the more history side, but it's so heavily weighted on design that unless you really have that flair, I just found it a struggle for those three years I was going through the
1: undergrad. So you know, you picked a major that you that you made that seem like that was kind of a big decision because you got kind of two tracks to go so you pick it now so, so you're thinking about working when when sometimes they happen in tandem sometimes it's kind of like hey i i learn and then i go work what when did you like kind of start to take make money or think about yeah. making money with these abilities so yeah graduated so did my undergrad
0: got my architectural degree and it was right let's go to work i stayed in the city that i studied in so i stayed in newcastle which is a city in the north of England, but coming out of the end of the recession, so this was like 2011, I graduated. So the global recession had finished, but you know, we you got the tailwind within architecture and construction that took a couple of years for those projects to finish that were financed then, and then, and then it was very dry. So all of my peers struggled to find work at the time. Everybody was, you know, hundreds of CVs going out, hundreds of portfolios going out to whatever firm they could. And the way that I doubled down was knowing that I was strong on the technical side. Um, So I focused my portfolio around that. I was also very good at Revit, the software, the CAD package at the time. So I searched for companies that had that within the description. It was kind of new and kind of up and coming at the time. And I just doubled down on those firms and you know cold called, sent out the CVs, tried to find people within the company used all my university lecturers did they know anybody with a real focus on a technical firm rather than necessarily an arts architecture firm so yeah played on my strengths that i recognized at uni and definitely tried to find my first job with that with that foot in the door there and i did I was so fortunately i did get one within
1: yeah a couple of months of graduating okay so you get that first job you know Tell me a little bit about like what happened there. And I think you were there for not, not too long, right? Less than two years. Uh, yeah, it was a year. So my wife is a year younger than me. So she was finishing her,
0: her year at university. First professional job. I was working pretty much technical sides of projects and doing the drawing packs and design packs great experience fortuitously they were a very innovative company they were in the northeast of england which was a struggling region of the uk at that time so they had to pivot themselves and I was surrounded by a very innovative directors and company leaders and they built side businesses as an architecture firm which wasn't common i would say within the practice at the time and i was just really interested in that so doubled down with them started doing some of the other stuff within the architecture office rather than traditional project work got a real interest in that and we chose to leave the city because as a young 20 year old like a young professional within the city there just wasn't much opportunity so when my wife graduated we both decided to move back down towards london Uh, it's both where we grew up but it was a decision like it's an expensive place to live so and as a graduate like we we weren't going to have high salaries so there was going to be a lifestyle hit But there was more career opportunities and prospects moving down towards London. So we made that decision and that was ultimately the the lack of networking and career progression outside of my own firm was the reason that we decided to move back towards London. Not necessarily just for
1: the sake of a good city, but that opportunity to to move down there. So did you have a job lined up or you're just like, hey, there's more opportunity there. So we're just going to pick up and go no i did not have a job we my lease was coming up on my house that i
0: was in at the time so it was kind of we're moving down i've got to get this and get this quick and i started cold calling every sports and stadia related company that i could down in london my directors kind of helped me with identify some good ones and yeah thankfully kind of the 11th hour I was down there signing a lease for a flat when I got a phone call to say, yeah, come in and we'll have an interview. So I kind of signed my lease and then hopped on a train into London and managed to
1: yeah land the job there. And then it was like one phone interview, one in-person interview, and then landed the job, which was great. And the sports and stadia, is that because that's what the firm was focused on that you were at?
0: Yeah. So I did a lot of education buildings and st- like sports leisure stuff. My director was—that's what he specialised in—and just found a passion for that. My background, obviously, within with sports and kind of elite sport prior to university, I understood if I knew any architecture type, it was how those spaces worked and what made for a good training facility. What good what made for a good stadium from an athlete side as opposed to a spectator side. So it was a yeah, that was more of a natural fit than trying to work out hospitals or something like that, which was just wasn't interested in that at all at the time. Whilst I was there at that firm, they encouraged me to meet other people. I was new to London. That wasn't my working environment. So I networked the hell out of my, you know, Revit groups and BIM groups and other professionals within the sports sector, um, you know, and tried to find a hybrid. I tried to find a sports firm that were also very heavy on Revit. And that's how I met, Professionals like Casey Rutland and Rebecca DeChico, and people like that. And yeah, one career hack was following those folks, seeing the social networks that they were going to and the professional networks they were going to, and then signing up for the next events and going to those to try and meet these people. Um, And that was a huge career that that really was an inflection point when i actually started to meet other professions in in that space which was something we didn't have in newcastle which is why i came down to london but yeah that was a big inflection point i was the youngest person in the room you know i was 22 23 at the time surrounded by those who are maybe six seven eight years ahead of me some more and i just went to learn i just sat in these i didn't i just wanted to learn what these people were doing understand what they were what they were kind of practicing within their own firms and just have an opportunity to talk to them after the the event, you know, over a beer or over a drink or whatever, and then actually just get to meet these people and learn, you know, why do you do it that way? And what was that thing that you mentioned on Twitter and that sort of stuff? And yeah, that was a great, yeah, great career hack in many respects. So that first firm in Newcastle, when I said, you know, I was talking to my, my directors and peers, like I'm moving back down to London. Can you make any recommendations? They're like, get on Twitter. And I was like, Uh, but I've already got Facebook. I've got LinkedIn. And they were like, scratch those two, get on Twitter. That's really where the real conversations are happening. And I was like, all right, fine. Okay. I'll give this a go. Um, and it was, it was slow. It took a while to find, you know, your, your group of people, but you started to find them and they kind of said, follow this hashtag. I was like, what's a hashtag? I have no idea what this was. And then, yeah, that was, you know, that was it. I started finding some people and you know you get some lemons and you get some eggs but you know you do suddenly find actually these other people i'm interested in and you know you can unfollow people as much as you have to follow people um yeah and that was that was the start of it so that was a, a recommendation from a peer just to say you know get on there and find find other people that aren't local to you because you can talk to them via that very very quickly and that's followed through like my i owe my career to that even now today like i still find peers and Those in other sectors, like through Twitter and through kind of online platforms, rather than necessarily in person. Yeah, it's it's been a great way for me.
1: All right, so that firm that you were in in London has some issues. You find yourself looking again. Again, this was also like. Under two years, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was about a year. So, through that social networking, Rebecca Dechico, she joined a company called David Miller Architects, and she said, they're hiring. Come on over. Like, that was someone who I met through Twitter. I met her in person at one of these networking events. We started talking, stayed talking for a a few months, and then she was moving firm. And she just reached out to me and said, hey, like, they're hiring. I think this would be a super interesting opportunity for you. Get your CV over there because I know you're looking. I did. Same thing. Thankfully, David Millers were, a, and still are, a very, they're a, an SME firm, but they were very innovative for their size. And it was great. I wanted to go over and have an opportunity to join to join them. Big focus on Revit, and that was the only platform. So again, I leveraged that software and tech side that I had, but it had gone beyond that at that point. It had gone beyond the software, and that was the initial kind of hook. It was then more the processes and thinking around information management and that sort of thing so I was kind of leveling up from what was a hard skill to more of a I don't know what the right word would be is but more of like a specialist subject area within within architecture so it wasn't design or project delivery but it was within information management within architecture so that was my where I was starting to niche in as a as a professional was in in that space at the time and they were great for it Went in, I wanted to learn from Rebecca. So I joined to learn from Rebecca and from David. And that was a real reason was to learn from good mentors and have someone who I could learn from within a firm as opposed to trying to learn it on my own within uh, within the first firm that I joined within London. I was kind of having to do a lot of that on my own.
1: So in this case, you know, I know you weren't there that long either and you went even deeper into like the technical aspects of what you're doing. So what was that? that next moment?
0: I can't remember the reason why I left uh, David Millers. I don't know what, what caused me to leave, but I started looking around. I think it might have been salary at that point. I think we'd got to a point where my wife and I were looking to buy our first home, and we were struggling with the salaries that we were on. So I just started looking around for opportunities just to increase the salary that we had. And again, another connection, that was Casey Rutland at Arab Engineering so he was part of arab associates which is a multidisciplinary sector within arab same thing industry expert within the space that i was in and was a great mentor and he reached out to me said hey if you're looking like come on over we want people like you you're young ambitious and interested in this space and we need more folks like you so i sent the cv over and joined arab and arab associates and that was yeah a better salary but also i was then in a much larger firm so thousands of people they're a global international firm I never imagined I would get to a firm of that sort of size and that was kind of a great great opportunity for me to to join them and as much as I liked David Miller's at the time it was it was kind of like a can't say no opportunity more people to learn from a more international firm and kind of more resources and opportunities there
1: One thing I feel like you're being a little modest about is you were engaging actively on social media. I feel like you were posting work, you were sharing techniques. So, you know, Casey had never worked with you. And for him to know that you were like an ambitious, technically oriented young professional, there was ways he needed to know that. Like, how how was he becoming aware of these things you were doing? I wasn't afraid to ask, what does that
0: mean? So someone would put an article out or they would say a comment. And I didn't understand what that was. And I was I wasn't afraid to say publicly like I don't know what the, what that is. Can you explain it to me? And I, I I can tell you when I learned that that was at school when there was a question in my maths class and my teacher said Does everybody understand? And everyone just kind of nodded their head. And I sat there and was like I really don't. And I was good at maths. And, you know I was one of the best kids in the class at maths. And I was like so I really don't understand this. And he said. If you don't understand it, I'm pretty confident there's other people in this classroom that also don't understand it. So we'll go through this again. And that resonated with me and has resonated with me my entire life. And I realize even on Twitter, like I'm not embarrassed to say, hey, I don't understand what you're you're saying. And I also know that other people will not understand it either. So by me being the person to say, I don't understand, can you explain it? I'm also helping other people around me. And I feel like that resonates with a lot of other people. me being the person to ask people are very thankful for that and it kind of empowers other people to ask the question as well like if that doesn't make sense let's dig in deeper
1: all right so air up one of the best firms in the world at engineering has you know we've all seen buildings that they were a part of we probably don't even know because sydney opera house um, that's their most famous first one yeah sydney opera house right incredible incredible buildings but all right so air up i mean wow we're just still in like the early parts of your career which goes to show like yeah. how many cool things you've gotten to do all right so let's uh yep. Arab, i'm sure you did some awesome stuff what was that next pivotal moment
0: i got invited out to the states so that two occasions one i got invited out i got asked to come out to the states to test the future release of revit so autodesk invites me out to test their pre-release a room of like 10 people it was like a week of just test this thing break it and i got to meet a load of interesting people there so again that software side it was kind of something i was leaning on heavy as a, in the early days but i met some awesome people there my other opportunity to go to the states was to go to the autodesk conference and that's where i met yourself and others there and again i was a very young person they sponsored me to go out there and i took the opportunity just to learn like this was you know this is a different country there's a different way of working but some of the best minds and speakers are talking at this thing so i wanted to go meet them and that's where i met daniel davis doing his lecture i met the case team so i met you all there i met matt jessick and those guys and yeah i just go and learn and that's that was where it all started was that networking opportunity and it was at the time that as i was it was at about that time case were acquired by we work so eyes open, well, no one saw that coming, especially in the BIM world. You know, we looked at the case team as kind of the pinnacle firm in that space. You know, I was watching what you guys were doing. It was different to what we were doing in the UK from a standards point, but much more on a software and tech side. And that kind of caught me blindside. No one saw that coming. I'd never heard of WeWork. Who were they? They were this office space, like never heard of them in London. Seems like a bit of a... An odd move as time went on you realize hey you've gone from a services and professional yeah like a services firm to now your owner operator and actually whilst you're trying to get peers around you to learn this stuff like now you can benefit from yourself you know the work you're doing you can kind of reap some of those benefits and it was at that time that I realized hey maybe I don't want to be in the services sector so engineering is a services sector completely and I got approached by my director from that first firm in Newcastle to come and rejoin them to do their training arm to come and train graduates and come and train professionals within within this space so I took the opportunity I was like hey I get to be my own boss effectively I get to find my own clients I get to travel I get to you know kind of preach my own <laughs> preach my own piece and actually go and help people and you know the more I work the more opportunity there is that sort of thing as opposed to being part of a of a big, big blue, basically. They Arab Arapa, the big blue of engineering. And so took a risk, took a risk, went out and did it. It was great. It was very tiring because I was on the road for four days a week, every other week in hotels all over the UK. And it was, I didn't quite comprehend how much of a life hit that would have in my, in my personal life. So I had to give up CrossFit because I couldn't get into the gym regularly enough. It was just tough and then we had our first child and i decided that hey i don't want to do this anymore this is too much traveling so i started looking around and saw yeah we work we're looking for someone in my space and that was i that was the couple of days before christmas and i for about a week solid i obviously took the christmas time for the family but that week between the christmas and the new year which is typically a very quiet week for our sector i Brushed up that CV, left, right, and center. I I hadn't written a CV in years because they'd all been personal. Hey, come on over. Come and have a conversation, interviews. So that was all new for me. I emailed everyone that I knew in the firm. So Daniel and I think I even messaged yourself at the time. Not quite realizing how high up in WeWork you were. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I know, Dave. I'll send him an email and uh, send him a tweet.
1: Um, all more reason to do it. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then, yeah, I heard nothing. I hit hit send and heard crickets and was like, no, have I thought, what have I done? Like, that was completely demoralizing and soul-shattering at the time. So I've not heard anything. Like, no one's got back to me. I haven't even had the recruitment team get back to me. Like, what have I done? I put all my eggs in this basket. Oh, no. And then Daniel messaged me <laughs> very late one night saying oh we're really sorry but the entire company on a corporate retreat and we're not allowed off phone so that's probably why you've not heard anything and i'm sitting there going yeah all right as if this is a giant firm as if everybody is on a corporate retreat little did i know that is exactly what we would did twice a year took everyone <laughs> on a corporate retreat around the world and yeah once everyone actually got back to work <laughs> i then got the email and then joined we work
1: and that was a yeah a big relief <laughs> To say the least. So now, and that was probably in the early days when WeWork was building up its um, two thousand people team in London.
0: Yeah, so there were two thousand people globally. The London office within product was about thirty people, I think total. Yeah, there was there was only there was a very small, very small at the time.
1: All right. So tell me, you were there for you know for a little while, and you got to do Four a lot of different ago. things. But give me some um, some learnings because I think you. You know, you pushed for a lot of innovation. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on while you were there. But what were some um, major moments in that process for you?
0: I, yeah, so the, the reason I joined, I wanted to learn from the case team that was still there. I, I saw them as the, you know, I still saw them very much as like the pinnacle of what my subject matter was. So I wanted to join, learn from them. it would be different. Like, I'm sure I can learn something from them. And I joined and realized it was at that moment when I joined. I have a lot of imposter syndrome, and kind of I don't think that highly of like maybe I'm just very modest in that I don't think I know as much as maybe I do. And I joined and realized, hey, I have I have a lot to offer this team as well. Different area. These guys, these guys and gals are incredibly clever and very very knowledgeable in their own space. But actually, I'm I know a lot in my space as well, and that seems to be not as well known here. And it was at that point. So I realized, Hey, I'm, I know more than I thought I did. So I came out of my shell a bit there and really became a lot more confident in my skill set. sharing that with other people. I had a great team. Honestly, they were the best team, a global team. I had the team in London. We were small. There was only three of us when we joined and that grew to 10 to 12 by the time we grew to our largest, but globally we were a team of 20 when I started in all four corners of the planet that grew to a huge number. And there's just so much to learn. And it, I was part of that. I, I felt like I could offer the others stuff as well. Um, and people started to turn to me, as like, Hey, you're a bit of a mentor in this space, not just for your skill set, but actually you're very good at dealing with people. And that sort of thing, and that's what—that's where I doubled down. I realised I actually really like people management, not because I get to just manage people, but because I care about people, and I can really get—I can empathise with them very quickly with the situation that they have, not just with their technical problem, but maybe their soft skills, their soft problems, and how do you resolve this this problem? And I think that came from my client side role previously, where I was having to go into an engineering firm, and you know upskill them within the space and actually solve their process problems um, go into a manufacturer's like literally their factory and figure out how do we improve this system with a, a technical side and kind of putting different hats on you know every week with a completely different firm and different objectives just meant that I can change hats very very quickly and I felt like that was a great skill set to have with managing people because every person is different but if you can empathize with them quickly then you can be a big Help to them. To put a line in the sand here, I had an undergraduate degree in architectural design. I was surrounded by qualified architects who had done their master's degree and then their diploma. I was surrounded with engineers. I was surrounded with PhDs. And I had a bit of a kind of felt like, hey, I, I don't have a master's in anything. I have a lot of career experience, but you know, I don't want to stay within architecture. I want to pivot here. I'm, I'm enjoying the business and the, the management side. Maybe I want to pivot a little bit. Um, and I had a bit of a, a bit of a worry. I was like, I don't know if I I can do that. And I spoke to a lot of people. I didn't want to go into software development. I didn't want to become a, a coder. That was the more obvious reason and uh, the more obvious path. And I deliberately chose not to do that because I felt like, well, that would be an opportunity an opportunity to shift, I'd be back doing production sort of work, which was not the area that I wanted to move into. I wanted to, if I was going to pivot, move into something similar where it was a management sort of role, but maybe in a different in a different role or a different sector. So I applied for an MBA. So I terrified. I was terrified when I did it. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I had a long commute. So I had an hour into work and an hour home every day. I deliberately chose a course that was flexible and self-paced. So that would work around my life. I could study on the train in, in, go to work. I was in an incredible company where I was learning this stuff day in, day out and had opportunities to, to talk to other people. But it, I could, do this course at a self-pace so you know at the weekends i could do it when the kids went to bed if there was a you know a couple of weeks where things were just crazy at work it was okay i didn't have necessary deadlines to hit week in week out i didn't have to go to in-person lectures or anything like that so i definitely organized my school around my lifestyle at that point that was that was a big decision you know it was which school do i go to and i i architected that around my life. And what I realized was the same thing. I know more than I realized I knew. I learned a lot of stuff, but I didn't learn anywhere near as much as I thought I was going to, because I'd already already knew a lot of it. And again, that was a massive confidence boost of like, okay, I do know my stuff. I've learned stuff, but actually, I've been learning along the way here. There may not have necessarily been a need to go back and get an MBA, but I can tick that off the box and with confidence say yeah I've got that like and I'm comfortable with that as a certificate on the on the rap sheet yeah and then the world f- fell apart around me <laughs> 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 so I'd started my MBA it was a 18 month course and then about 4 months into that yeah we work started to implode we went through the failed IPO and Started downsizing, and yeah, I was getting a real life example of everything I was learning on the MBA about corporate governance and financials and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, "Wow, I'm really at the coalface here of all this stuff happening." Redundancy started happening, and so we were doing corporate restructures. At, <laughs> we were doing corporate restructures at that that module at the time. I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm studying and practicing this right at the same time." And I handed in my thesis the week before my third child was born. So I kind of had like a, a hard deadline to get this stuff done. Otherwise, yeah, it was I didn't know when I was going to finish that with a with a
1: newborn. What I want people to take away from that is that you're you're never too old. It's never too late. Right. Um, yep. if you have deliberate if, if you are deliberate and you have intentionality, you could do it. And you know, to fast forward a little bit, you're you're now a real estate developer as a managing partner in I think your own firm, right? Yeah. So
0: with yeah, with WeWork shrinking, I the company was changing direction. My team shrunk huge, both globally and locally. How
1: and many I people were managing
0: at that time? I had 11 people within Europe, and the career path was that that was going to grow to a different sector within Europe. So we were going to take on a different team to manage them. But the way that that team worked was we all kind of helped each other globally. So I had global people turn to me for you know, advice and stuff like that. So while it formally only had the, not only I had 11 people that reported to me directly, there were others globally that were coming to me asking for advice and that sort of stuff. So it was a more of a wider scope and that shrunk. I was going to be one of the two going forwards within Europe. And I didn't want to do that. It was a great that's not to belittle the offer that I was given but that just wasn't the offer that I wanted to do and we were in a position where I could take a risk I asked Federico what I should do I reached out to him and was like hey I have this opportunity to do something that I like and he said to me do it like you have very few chances in life where you've got 12 months of runway to go after a passion and if it works it's incredible and if it's not you've spent 12 months learning something new and you can carry on with what you were doing prior or move on to something a little bit different with all those lessons that you've learned. And that's the real motivation to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. So yeah, I made a decision to, to leave or not continue on. And yeah, went out, took the lessons that I learned through my MBA, set up my own firm, found my own niche within the sector. And yeah, took all of those lessons and interests In the past and really applied it to what is a a new startup within residential housing i spent two or three months thinking you know where do i want to where do i want to land this firm what exactly do we want to do wasn't afraid to pivot go out there have an idea i think this is good go out there and get kind of confirmation from others do you do they think this was work and the first few were like no this is regulatory controlled i was like okay i don't have the finances to do that um well that's gonna take a long time to get the ground you need a lot of assets under management to kind of even break-even on your, your your salary. I was like, yeah, okay, that's going to take too long to get off the ground on day one. And slowly found, actually, this is a really interesting space. There's the technical side to it, the software side. Um, I've had to learn to code, which there's so many resources now, free, YouTube has been a blessing, Stack Overflow is, you know, everyone's go to, even as a professional software developer, you spend more time on that than you do actually writing code. And just asking peers, like, hey, does anyone know how to do this? And they're like, Yep, look here. And that just really helps. Um and those small compound, like those small tasks, like tick them off one by one by one, like those things do compound and are you know the the parts are more than the whole. And as much as it's hard at times to think like, oh, this is so frustrating, like I'm so close, yet it's not there, like these things are building and like within a, a couple of months, like suddenly you've you've achieved an awful lot. People tell you you have like three careers in your lifetime, like three big career-defining chunks. And I feel like I'm just going into my second one now. Um, So the first year of finding what I'm interested in was the first decade. I feel like I'm going into like the big growth phase now, which is like a decade or two. Um, And now I'm sure that's going to meander and change constantly as well. Um, And yeah, it's not something to be afraid of.
1: It's been super exciting up until now. Well, it looks like it's working. So keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Uh, Cheers, Dave. Thanks so much for sharing your career with us, Dale. If people want to follow along with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to tune in? Yeah, on Twitter, it's
0: dale.design. So D-A-Y-L-E uh, dot design. That's me on Twitter. I'm very public about what we're building over at Penny Deer. Um, the lessons learned, the struggles, and that sort of stuff. So I kind of put it out there very, very regularly. And that's probably the best place to, to get me.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate the conversation, and um, well, you know, I'm I'm ready for the next one when we hear about your massive real estate empire and all the other cool things you've done. So, thanks so much, Dale. Yeah, give us a couple of weeks. And we'll be there. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's Teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at Teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us and please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.